This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome everyone to the Pick a Flick podcast. This is a new beginning, a new sunrise on the podcasting dawn with me, Tony Black, who won't be that much of a pretentious prick every week because <laughs> I'm not on the show every week, so that's that's why. <laughs> and with me today are my two co-hosts, my left arm and my right arm, right arm, right arm even, uh, <laughs> Emma Platt and Dan Taylor. Hello. Hello. You can work out which one we are. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. he said harm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Emma's the one with the deep voice. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, we are starting the new Pick a Flick venture, which is basically like this. As we put on the website, you pick a film, we watch it, or blog about it, but that's the small print. Simple. So that's that's the whole concept. And thankfully, we have had in the last... We went live with this about nine, ten days ago, mm. and we've had over 120 submissions. Jesus. Yeah, for films, which calculates roughly at, if you did all of them, 60 podcasts. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it, it considerably takes my yearly film watching um, <laughs> total <laughs> up quite considerably. There you go. <laughs> right, exactly. But obviously, we're not going to actually podcast about all of them because we don't have enough time in the world. <laughs> we uh, we're going to be choosing the ones that are both going to be perhaps for comedy value the best, and also have the most interesting in terms of production stories and things like that, and details like backstory. Because the whole idea of Pick a Flick is that we're not just going to review these films; we're actually going to talk about them and pick apart some of the more interesting facts and minutia about these things so it's not just going to be like Black Hole Cinema which was our former podcast which we have now left behind which was mainly just film reviews and was about new films and we are going to touch on those briefly but primarily it's going to be the two films that have been nominated by you the listeners the audience 
And if you haven't nominated and you're listening to this, well, we'll nominate, actually. And you can do that on our Twitter and our Facebook. And on Twitter, we are at PickAFlickPod. And on Facebook, we'll just pick a flick. And we've got a website, www.pickaflick.co.uk, where we have a blog, which a number of people are blogging about and uh, doing pieces on the films that have been picked and various thought pieces, things like that. Emma has dead meat. Dead meat! Dead meat, dead meat, dead meat! Dead meat, dead meat, dead meat! Which we need to do into a theme tune. Uh, <laughs> which is Emma's section on all things horror and Dan also has a blog piece that you started called Confessions of a Cinema Manager which will be starting soon Dan haven't you yeah yeah. I'm uh, currently writing uh, the third instalment which is no two cinemas are the same unless you're a movieplex <laughs> a, a, a multiplex <laughs> <laughs> yes because they're all the same yeah. <laughs> they're interchangeable cool okay well that's good so you'll have uh, uh, hosts doing columns when they get time as will i be and various other guest writers which is awesome so there'll be that and the podcasts on the website so keep your eyes on those uh, on a regular basis in which case let's kick this off not by picking a flick quite yet but we're going to quickly talk about the new films at the box office and there have been two this week but we'll also briefly touch on some of the ones that have been out the week before because there's actually been quite a few films out that are mm. half decent lately yeah and last week which was the beginning of october we had the martian to start off with which has matt damon as a <laughs> astronaut <laughs> in space again in space again uh, much like interstellar and he's stranded on mars and it's adapted from the novel by andy weir by uh, ridley scott which uh, I really liked. I thought The Martian was great, and it seems that everyone else is agreeing right now because the box mm. office is going through the roof. Mm. Mm. And it's the, yeah. the highest opening, I think, in October ever, uh, mm. The Martian, or for a long time. Have either of you seen it? I haven't no. seen it yet. No. I'm going tomorrow to see it then. Mm. Oh, great. I'm, yeah, I'm seeing it Tuesday. Yeah, the reviews have been just uh, overwhelmingly good for a Matt Damon film that isn't uh, born. Yeah, it's... it's it, from what it sounds like, it's a sci-fi done right with lots of different yes. elements to it. With you know a bit of comedy, obviously drama as well. And the only, the only, obviously the only criticism that I've heard is that all the cast are too young to be astronauts. Which you know we'll just ignore. Just, well, to, just ignore that fact. <laughs> yeah, the casting's a bit of a clusterfuck altogether. Which I blogged about. It's yesterday. fantastic casting, but it's in, in terms of the actual, you know, the, the match stars that are in it. You know, otherwise. Yeah, they're, they're just, it's just that missed casting, perhaps, is more the issue, I think, for it, some people. It's, yeah, there's been a few issues with that. If you look on the blog at uh, my piece, which is Whitewashing and the Martian, you can read a little bit more about that one. But uh, mm. overall, it's, it's a good adaptation. It's very good, and it's more emphasis on the side than the fiction, maybe. But mm. it's, a, it's a lot of fun, and it's, it's funny, and it's really engaging. So uh, it's well worth watching if you haven't already, but most people have, so... As well that week, there was The Walk, which is Robert Zemeckis' new film about uh, Francois Petit, I think his name is, who did the wire walk between the Twin Towers in 1974, which, as obviously in IMAX, people have been saying, Mark Kermode said it looks amazing in IMAX, and the sequence where he walks between the Twin Towers is is great. But most people have been saying two things. One, that you're better off just watching Man on Wire, which is the documentary about all this. Mm. And two, that Joseph Gordon-Levitt's very silly French accent gets a little bit ridiculous. (laughs) 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 Which, from the trailer, I don't know if you've seen the trailer, but yeah, it is a bit Mm. daft. 
There's also Macbeth, which I've seen, and I'll skip over talking about too much because that's going to feature in episode two of Pick a Flick. To, without saying any more, but it was good. Macbeth. Macbeth was was a mm. solid adaptation of, uh, of a, obviously the very very famous Shakespeare story. And Michael Fassbender is very Michael Fassbender, just bearded and shouty. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's good. It's worth seeing. Very, very doom, very doom laden and grim. This week, though, we've had two new ones. Which is firstly Regression, which is the new Alejandro Almenabar film with uh-huh. uh, Emma Watson, I think, and Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke, thank you. Which I don't actually know the story for. Do either of you know the story for Regression? Nope. I, I actually can't picture the trailer now. All I remember thinking is, oh, actually, that looks all right. Mm. <laughs> um, so, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Emma Watson, isn't it, and um, Ethan Hawke? I think she's his daughter. I think. Mm. Yes, I can't remember. Maybe I should have researched that one a bit better. But yeah, it's, should it's I one of host? It's, <laughs> yeah, it is what I wanted to pop and see. But I've got a massive list, as you've kind of already said. We've actually been very lucky. Um, yeah. Recently, it's 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 unusual that we've we've come out of a of a summer, and other than maybe a week or two. Right at the tail end of August and for you know beginning of September. Otherwise, we've had something at least once a week to watch. I think you know we've had Legend one week, followed by Everest, followed by mm. Wolf in the Woods, followed by Macbeth, and um, obviously The Martian, um, and now Regression, and I'm assuming the other film that you're about to mention as well, which is uh, Sicario, which is the uh, new film by Denis Villeneuve. What do all these people have? I, names that are hard to pronounce. <laughs> it's, it's really difficult. Um, you, you, can, you can say the star's name, though, very easily. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I remember you like her very much. I do like Emily Blunt very much. I, I'm not sure many men don't. She, she's, she's a good actress, apart from being beautiful. But mm. uh, And Benicio Del Toro, just a really good, really good cast. And it seems to be one of the most well-appreciated films of the year. Mm. so uh, that's something I'd definitely like to see and having seen some of Denis Villeneuve's previous films Enemy especially which had Jake Gyllenhaal um, which is a really trippy fucking film but a really really interesting trippy fucking film so he's a good director he's a solid director so that's something that I've heard a lot of good things about so that's the new films that's, that's what's new on the block and we will have reviews up of some of those new films um, there's a view, review of Sicario up by Kane Richards, aka The Watcher, The Watcher blog, who's uh, blogging for us. So, and he gave it rave review. So, that's definitely the one to to check out. I think this week. But beyond that, it's time to pick a flick. The first flick we are going to pick on Pick a Flick, which is quite funny when you say it <laughs> like that. Actually. <laughs> It's a tongue twister. It's a tongue twister. It's a film that has been chosen by my best friend, which is nice and appropriate, actually, I think, for, for this podcast. My best friend, a man called Matthew Howell, uh, a.k.a. Big Matt, who's been my friend for 15 years now. So he's served his time and then some. And he's a fan of all kinds of, of bad movies. And he has chosen one of the worst <laughs> for this, without question. He has picked Superman 4. The quest for peace. Where is the woman? Give it up, you'll never find her. If you will not tell me, I will hurt people. Ah! Ah! 
or as when I asked on Twitter what our first pick of fl- picked flick was going to be, Matt Latham commented, aka Zanmat, Superman, spelt soup, S-O-U-P, <laughs> Superman, a quest for peas. <laughs> <laughs> because he's, you know, a very sensible grown-up man. Indeed, it was his 30th birthday um, yesterday, as of when you were listening. So, happy birthday, Matt Latham. You're now old. Mm. So... Yeah. Yeah, well done. Uh, well done for aging. <laughs> um, I, I do. I do question how much of a, a friend this best friend is, or, or at least how much he likes you. Because <laughs> 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 it was the most torturous hour and a half of my life. <laughs> well, you, you, and you, and everybody else. <laughs> I think Superman Four: The Quest for Peace, or A Quest for Peace, is a 1987 American superhero film directed by Sidney J. Fury. And it is the fourth and final film in the original Superman film series. Have you heard of Sidney J. Fury? Nope, and I'm assuming there's a reason why. Is it this film? (laughs) (laughs) Could be. His last film... um, His last film was (laughs) a film called The Dependables, which is a straight-to-DVD family action film, which is a riff on The Expendables. (laughs) And this is brilliant. This has in the cast... Bo Svensson, Louis Gossett Jr., and Margot Kidder. So he's clearly kept in touch with her, mm. um, a.k.a. <laughs> Lois Lane from this film. The tagline goes, they're old, they're clueless, but they're the only hope we've got. Five young American soldiers are held hostage in Afghanistan by a Taliban warlord. When the U.S. Army is slow to act, a grandmother and four grandfathers with military backgrounds fly to Afghanistan to rescue them. <laughs> <laughs> clearly, his, his career has taken off like no one's business since mm. this. Superman 4 is the first film in the series not to be produced by Alexander and Ilya Solkind, but by Golan Globus's Canon Films, in association with Warner Brothers. Now, Alexander and Ilya Solkind were the driving forces behind the uh, the original Superman films uh, in the 70s, which obviously are the ones that everyone remembers, aren't they? I mean, I mean, Man of Steel, obviously, recently has, has reminded people, and obviously we've got Batman vs. Superman coming, but everyone thinks of the original Supermans, don't they, really? Superman mm-hmm. films. When they think of Christopher Reeve... Do they think of this one, though? I mean, does mm. anyone remember the quest for peace? I will now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> See it onto my fucking memory. Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> I have seen some shit. Yep. But this is... Ugh. It's, it's like we were talking on Black Hole Cinema about people saying that Fantastic Four was the worst film of all time. Which it's clearly not. It's clearly not. It's not even the worst superhero film of all time, because <laughs> this is definitely <laughs> the worst superhero film of all time. <laughs> It's probably it's, contender for the worst film of all time. It is um, on a couple of like like worst film lists, like like it's where Empire magazine put it in like their top ten worst films of all time, and a couple of other places. So this is like it's been unanimously decided that this is a pile of shit. Mm. You are absolutely right because uh, Superman Four was a box office and critical failure, with many complaints for the cinematic malfunctions, lack of originality and excessiveness. Critics have put it in the category of worst films ever made. So it's, there's a category on Wikipedia with all the worst films of each decade. Um, oh, sweet. And it is, it is in that, that list on, in the 80s, um, which is a list that I think we're going to go through in a future podcast because there is some absolute gold in here. There really is. And a few of them will be, will be on future podcasts, I think, because some of them have been nominated. But it is definitely in the worst films of the 1980s, which makes complete sense. Mm. It was uh, The story has Gene Hackman returning as Lex Luthor. God knows how much they paid him. 
um, who creates an evil solar-powered Superman clone called Nuclear Man. <laughs> which, is, <laughs> which is as bad as it sounds. As well, a, you know, the hero's called Superman. So, you know, creative ideas sit on the ground. Because obviously he voices Nuclear Man as well, <laughs> um, Gene Hackman. And so often it's not been dubbed very well at all. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you almost wonder why they bothered. The guy, obviously, that plays Nuclear Man obviously had a really high-pitched voice or something. That's maybe why they couldn't use his real voice. <laughs> maybe it would have been more entertaining. Hi, oh, I'm Nuclear Man! <laughs> yeah, this film came about in 1983 after the mixed-to-negative reaction of Superman 3. Now, does anyone remember Superman 3? Because obviously the first two Supermen... Superman? Superman's? superman I don't know. Um, the first one, obviously, Superman, you know, spinning around the Earth to change time and stop that earthquake going off the second one is when zod turns up with escapes from the phantom zone with his with his incredibly camp looking 70s disco crew and then they come down and trash metropolis although i say take nothing away from the terence stamp is brilliant as zod and that is probably the best one of, of all of them in fact it's probably still the best superman film and but then three what do you remember three because three was really different no i i don't know if i've seen three well three is the one which has Superman on the, the poster carrying Richard Pryor in, in his <laughs> arms flying <laughs> over a ravine. <laughs> yeah, it I was, think I've seen it now. It's basically the one where Richard Pryor's a computer whiz, which again is just <laughs> fucking ridiculous, who uh, ends up like, I think he helps, Robert. I think it's Robert Vaughan who's like a Lex Luthor sort of clone guy, not literally a clone, but like a complete sort of double who, who tries to take over the world with some sort of computer program it's, it's it's really bad it's not as bad as this but it's no. bad so mixed to negative reaction of that which makes sense reeven the producers Saulkind and his son Ilya assumed the superman films would run their course <laughs> no shit reeve, <laughs> <laughs> reeve was slated to make a cameo in 1984 supergirl i love unav- that film but he was unavailable do you i mean that that's another one that's that needs revisiting i think I fuck it just. I used to watch it all the time when I was a kid. I just fucking loved that film. But I have terrible taste in movies, so it's alright. Well, that one was slated in that because it's um, Helen Slater as Supergirl and Faye Dunaway's in that, isn't she? Peter O'Toole, random, (laughs) well-known actors. Yeah. What is that? Jim Broadbent's in this though. Is he? Yeah, he plays the uh, French guy, (laughs) the uh, the uh, French nuclear warhead dealer. Oh God, he does. Jean-Pierre Dubois. 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 Oh yeah, Dubois. That's That's, that's amazing. Have I told you the story of how I've met Jim Broadbent? You have not. (laughs) This is a great story. Okay, (laughs) This is a good story. In the summer, I I won't go off on too much of a tangent with this, but in the summer I was at a wedding with my girlfriend for her best mate's aunt. And her husband-to-be is a, a childhood friend of Jim Broadbent. So they were said, oh, Jim Broadbent's going to be at this wedding. And it was in Lincolnshire. It was this beautiful, massive party. It was like a mini music festival com- wedding. It was amazing. And Jim Broadbent turns up with lots of booze. And uh, all through it, I'm going, oh, that's Jim Broadbent. That's Jim Broadbent. Can we, can we go and talk to him? To Jim Broadbent. And my girlfriend's going, no, because we're not, you're not going to be that guy. <laughs> because <laughs> up to him going, you're Jim Broadbent. I've seen you in like Indiana Jones and the, the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Anyway. It could be yeah. worse. You could be that guy that goes, "Hi, Jim. Um, I um, have a podcast called Pickle." You guys been a guest anytime. <laughs> well, what's funny is my my uh, my friend, uh, who's the the boyfriend of 
my my girlfriend's best friend keep up with this he's a he's a writer and he's you know he's coming up to actually getting things produced and things like that so i he was the guy going i'm not going and talking to him and saying i've got some scripts would you like to read some of my scripts you know is that kind of thing so yeah uh after the ceremony and everything the party's going on jim broadbent comes over because my girlfriend sang in this beautiful party and she sang it as part of a three-piece and he came over and he said oh i like i liked your, your, your song so we were all there going hi jim broadbent let's have a chat so we did and uh then randomly there was another guest who basically had brought an owl with her what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, you're, no, she kept saying. She said to me earlier, "I brought an owl to the wedding." I was like, "As a plus why? one?" <laughs> I think so. So yeah, uh, she comes over with this owl. She's basically like a, a, an animal trainer, and she's brought an owl with her for reasons. And she, she's bringing the owl around, going, "Do you want to see me owl?" Which doesn't. It sounds quite like a double entendre, but it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> so she, she goes around showing this owl that's on her arm. So Jim Broadbent then goes, "Oh, that's a nice owl," you know, lucky lucky. <laughs> So he, I'm standing there watching him stroking this owl, and then he tells a story of how he was basically walking around the fields of Lincolnshire, and he got writer's block um, years ago. And he said, I, I lay down on the grass. I've been walking for ages. I lay down on the grass, and I, an owl buzzed me. And then my writer's block was gone. And he said, that happened twice. I was like, how does that happen twice? <laughs> it's like, it, was, it was amazing. It was an amazing story. And then he just wandered off. That's my bizarre story of how I met Jim Broadbent and he talked to me about how an owl cured his writer's block. So, there you go. Beat that with your famous stories, guys. If anyone's got a better story of how you've met a famous person, let us know. Or just how you okay. specifically met Jim Broadbent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe he gets around. Has anyone met rude. Jim Broadbent and got a better story? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I do wish that I'd have re- remembered that, that Jim was in, and I call him Jim now whenever I see him. <laughs> oh, my mate Jim. Um, that Jim was in... Big J, Big Jim, that he was in <laughs> Superman 4, because I'd, I'd have said to him, Jim, I know it was the 80s, mate, but what the fuck? <laughs> what, <laughs> what, what were you doing? So, talking of um, what what possessed anybody to, to make this film, Mariel Hemingway, who plays Lacey, uh, her personal quote on IMDb is, I enjoy making things that are different. No fuck. It makes for a, it makes for a better career. No, it really doesn't. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do the same thing twice. Well, I should hope not. You know, it was the biggest pile of shite I have ever had the displeasure of sitting through. Basically, there there is no redeeming features to it at all. Other than as I said before, we started the space bit at the beginning is all right. <laughs> well, I don't think you were alone because apparently, according to John Cryer, who played Lex Luthor's nephew Lenny in the film. Uh, Christopher Reeve. This is about his level, though, I think. <laughs> <laughs> but Christopher Reeve took him aside and said to him just before the release, yeah. um, and said, it's going to be terrible. <laughs> Which, um, apparently, he said that they, they ran out of money during the production and ultimately released an unfinished movie. Which, he's pretty much right, isn't it? I mean, that's yeah. that's how it seems. That like it, they, they just didn't finish it. It absolutely does feel that it just jumps from one scene to the next with no kind of link um, and it kind of bumbles around and plot points are dropped and you're never quite sure what's going to happen next because yeah. things just happen without explanation and then it's, it's got that kind of typical 80s thing where it over explains certain things uh, like in the the, the boardroom scene uh, uh, towards the beginning of the film where Marcy and her father are obviously uh, Mace, Marcy 
that's the, that's the actress's name, uh, Lacey and her father <laughs> have taken over, obviously, the newspaper, uh, the Daily Planet, and the dialogue in that is so clunky and so 80s that it wouldn't have looked out of place in an episode of Coronation Street. It's just <laughs> unbearably bad. Um, and I can't quite remember the exchange, but it's it particularly the lines that Lois Lane gets are just like, shut the fuck up. It's <laughs> <laughs> they gave, they said some nine-year-olds write me a Superman story. Mm. Okay, so, right, Superman, right, he gets this big net with all these missiles in and he throws it into the sun, but then the sun sends out this beam and there's a man and he's bad and we'll call him Nuclear Man and then they fight and then they bake the, the Great Wall of China, then they go back into space <laughs> and they fight and they go back and then he throws the statue of the Superman and he goes back into space and then he throws the moon and the end! Mm. <laughs> that is literally, like, that's... I just had so many questions about this. I was like, one, is Lois Lane as thick as pig shit? Like, she jumps off the thing with Clark. Yeah. <laughs> and then <laughs> Superman shows up and she's just like, oh, Superman with Clark's glasses on. Where is Clark? No concern for fucking Clark whatsoever. At all. <laughs> she just doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. And then, like, he lets go of Lois Lane and she doesn't die. And then Nuclear Man takes Lacey into space. For some reason, she can she doesn't die. She can breathe in space. And that's totally normal. <laughs> and... What else was that? Oh, yeah, Superman pushes the moon in front of the sun with no concern about how that's going to affect the tides on Earth or anything <laughs> like that. Just mm. millions of people could be dying. He doesn't give a fuck. It's just... I know you shouldn't look at a film and go, well, that doesn't make any fucking sense, but I was just like, that makes no sense! No, it <laughs> makes literally no logical sense. And no? It's, not, it's as if it's just not been thought about it, and your explanation that a nine-year-old wrote it is pretty damn spot on. In yes. fact, though, I think that's insulting to nine-year-olds, though, because I, I yeah. think nine-year-olds could write a better script. And it's going to be really interesting since it recently passed away, but Wes Craven was originally supposed to direct it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'd Random. love to see that. Mm. It's just... There was another... Like, do you know the bit at the end where he pushes Nuclear Man into the lift and then punches out the lights and Nuclear Man loses power? And I was like, from a fluorescent bulb? Mm. Did, I, did, I miss, did I miss something where they explained how he was powered by any light source? Because that really fucking confused me. And he just goes, ooh, like a computer power and that. Yeah, well, that, that, that's the thing that doesn't make sense, is that, oh, so he has no power when he's in the lift on Earth, yet the sun's still out outside, so... But then suddenly he's on the moon, but the sun comes up, and then he's powered up again. That doesn't make any sense, because he's still in a concealed unit. So, I don't understand if, you know, oh, it just doesn't make any sense. Reeves, <laughs> mm. autobiography, still me. He described Superman 4 as, he said this, We were also hampered by budget constraints and cutbacks in all departments. Canon Films had nearly 30 projects in the works at the time, and Superman 4 received no special consideration. For example... The writers wrote a scene in which Superman lands on 42nd Street and walks down the double yellow lines to the United Nations, where he gives a speech. If that had been a scene in Superman 1, we would have actually shot it on 42nd Street. Richard Donner would have choreographed hundreds of pedestrians and vehicles and cut to people gawking out of office windows at the sight of Superman walking down the street like the Pied Piper. Instead, we had to shoot at an industrial park in England in the rain with about 100 extras, not a car in sight and a dozen pigeons thrown in for atmosphere. Even if the story had been brilliant, I don't think that we could ever have lived up to the audience's expectations with this approach. And this, of course, is the wonderful fact, which is my favourite fact about this film, that they shot that scene in Milton Keynes, which is, which is the greatest thing I've ever heard. And I didn't believe that at first. And I was, for years, people would say, no, no, they shot part of Superman 4 in Milton Keynes. I was like, oh, come on. 
You wouldn't shoot anything in Milton Keynes. No. You wouldn't even shoot someone in Milton Keynes. That'd just be disrespectful <laughs> to them. It's just like, why would you do it? So it was brilliant. I mean, the, you know, if you look at it now, you can so tell. You can so tell that it's that it's just not New York. <laughs> it's, it's painful. It just it looks cheap. Doesn't make any sense. It just would have been better midway through going, let's not bother, guys. Um, because the fact that, you know, as you said, what John Cryer said, Christopher Reeve was fully aware that it was going to be a steaming pile of shite. Again, reading on the IMDb about the fact that they showed it to a test audience, and that's why a lot of it was cut, because they either didn't get it or just didn't think it was any good. But surely they just didn't think any of it was any good, and that would have been a good indication just not to bother. But somebody somewhere during this film, and Christopher Reeve, who... You know, he's been documented numerous times as being a bit difficult to work with anyway. Surely he should have just thrown his toys at the pram and goes, nope, not doing it. It's, it's just not worth it, you know. Because there were, there were talks that they were going to do a fifth one, which didn't happen because this one was so bad. But surely it's somewhere along the line. Because it's not like Superman 3 was revered either. It, you know, it was critically panned. And while it did okay at the box office, it, you know, it certainly wasn't going to... Yeah warrant another film coming out and you know the fact that then Superman Returns completely ignores three and four kind of is a testament to the fact of how bad they are it's very rare that films ignore certain parts of canon and you know when it comes to big feature films it's very rare like you know we've recently had Spider-Man be recast again simply because they they can't just continue with Andrew Garfield and ignore it ignore what's happened because you can't do that in you know the fans would be like well this happened in this film you know you can't pick and choose you know what is canon and what isn't but there's some there's some proper i mean really strange facts about this film there's a good one about how because there was 45 minutes of deleted material that was never Mm. seen because of the because of the test screenings one of them was that the, the nuclear man that he fights is not the original nuclear man the original nuclear man was played by a man called Clive Mantle, who used to be in Casualty. <laughs> and, yeah, he played a doctor in Casualty, and he was in The Vicar of Dibley and all these things. And, he, uh, yeah, he was originally supposed to fight this guy, which is bizarre, and then he was going to be destroyed, and then Luther decides to create a new nuclear man who's the guy who looks like he's got a perm. You know, <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's just... He, he looks a bit like Flash Gordon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. So they were tapping into that kind of cheesy camp... 80s thing the Great Wall of China the rebuilding Wall- Matt with his eyes yeah as as Emma said the fact that Meryl Hemingway can breathe in space <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah that, she's that, like that, a superhero yeah. and they just forgot to mention that yeah mm. I was like no she can't possibly be in space maybe she's like you know just really high up in the sky no she's in fucking space she's <laughs> literally she's in space beyond it, the atmosphere uh, yeah it's just it's fucking stupid it's just, and there's not even any movie logic. Like, oh, well, Superman kissed her, and because he kissed her, now she can breathe in space. Even that, I would have gone. Oh, well, at least they've explained it. No, no, mm. just ignore that one. But I mean, it's it's interesting, really, when you look at it, how far these things have come. I mean, where we are now. I mean, this was long before the the days of the superhero taking over Hollywood. But even in the nineties, when there were some dodgy superhero films like some of the Batman's and things like that, it was only f- about five years late. No, in fact, hang on. When was this? This was nineteen eighty-seven. It was only two years after this film that you had Batman, the, the mm. Tim Burton Batman. Which that's which, insane when you think about it, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it but really is. 
I mean, Batman is obviously it's more grounded anyway. So especially the Tim Burton ones, but it's insane when you think of it like that. Yeah, just. It is. The thing is, is that Superman is such a difficult superhero to get right anyway. Mm. To kind of go to this extreme, just it it just literally wouldn't have been out of place on Cartoon Network or something. It just it seems like an episode of Johnny Bravo or some shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> it just it it pushes ridiculousness to the extreme that you just can't physically imagine adults actually making this film. No, it's just obviously people just didn't care. Mm. It's obviously just the so. Oh well, it's Superman, so people are going to go see it. So we'll just make the film for as little as we can to get as much money back as we can. They just don't give. A, it's it's so obvious that no one gave a fuck about it. Mm-hmm. We have like like you said, Superman. I think is really hard to get right because I think if you compare him to like Captain America, Superman's just got no flaws at all. He's just yeah. he's perfect. Like Captain America, you can see like. You know, he's conflicted about things and about the right thing to do. And, you know, I think you're going to see more of that in the new Civil War film and stuff like that. But Superman's just like, no, there's truth, justice in the American way. And it's just, it's not interesting. It's not interesting at all. Mm. It's, it's how, like, he, you know, he walks into the UN, makes a speech, and everyone's just like, yes, <laughs> And then everyone just starts shooting their nuclear weapons into space so he can catch them and actually throw it into a fucking net. Who made the what? net? Yeah. Who made, who made the, the net? net? Who made the net? Just what who? The I need to know this. How much yeah. did the net cost? Who paid for the net? Did it come out of taxes? Because that's yeah. an expensive net, and it had to be really heavy. So, mm. no, too many fucking questions. Yeah, it's just like not not even one person stands up and goes, "I disagree," and you get the cold pantomime boo, get off. Yeah. There's not even any of that. Everyone yeah. unanimously goes woohoo let's it's just like, all our nuclear weapons to this high powered alien who could wipe yeah. out humanity with a click of his fingers well done boys let's go to the pub job well done <laughs> <laughs> yeah Superman 4 is a genuine genuine curio it probably is one of the worst films ever made it's one of those things I think you've got to watch if you're any sort of lover of superhero films just to see that when you moan about the latest Marvel or you moan about the new DC verse. Just remember what it could be like. <laughs> remember what it was for those poor young kids who were in 1987 were about 12, 13 years old, and they'd read this stuff all their life, and they went to the cinema <laughs> to watch Superman Four. Think how how lucky you are. Is mm. my advice. <laughs> yeah, it's like literally Josh Trank could have trolled the fuck out of Fox and made something like this yeah. with Fantastic Four. Exactly. It's never as bad as you think because Superman 4 exists. So, yeah, thanks, Matt, for that um, first picked flick. You have the honour of picking the first ever flick on Pick a Flick. Um, I wonder how many times I can say flick or pick on this podcast. (laughs) It's going to be quite a few. Next up, we're going to combine the two features that Dan and Emma both do on this podcast on this podcast or did do on black hole cinema because we're carrying a few things over from that podcast things we liked the things we liked and as i mentioned earlier emma does dead meat dead meat dead meat dead meat dead meat thank you which mm-hmm. is the section on horror and dan has been doing the hall of fame uh, which on the blog you can see the the previous hall of fame winners which has been so far actors actresses and directors of in terms of the academy awards who should have won major awards and we've done as I say those three different categories and Dan will be doing a a one for writers in an upcoming podcast but before then we decided to fuse the two together 
as the first one. And we're going for Dead Hall of Fame today, which is, Dan? Dead Hall of Fame, the rules are simple. Um, As always, we try to wean out the uh, piss takers, which this week I fear may have been Tony. So uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, there are some rules. Um, They have to have either been nominated or been part of a nominated or winning film. Um, So in this case... Uh, they could have been nominated uh, for the best feature, or they could have been nominated all one in another category. Um, because basically, we're concentrating as we're specifically looking at the actual films. Uh, specifically, it's ones that um, would have won the title of best picture at the Academy Awards. Emma, to date, is there only been how many? How many horrors have won off the top of your head? Um, I believe it's Silence of the Lambs. One big in the early nineties. But The Exorcist was the very first horror film to ever be nominated for Best Picture, and that was 1973. 1973. I'm sure if we made a mistake, somebody on Twitter will correct us. Um, uh, It's certainly a genre that's kind of underappreciated by critics and kind of movie kind of snobs, as it were. What do you think the reasons are for that, Emma? Because it can be a load of trash, basically. People don't think that horror films are capable of saying anything meaningful or powerful. A lot of people, and I think a lot of critics still think that it's just about seeing a masked guy kill some half-naked girls and it, it's it's not and i think when we talk about the films that we've nominated you can see that they are they're capable of dealing with really big themes and not just death mm. and scary shit they really get ca- and they're capable of kind of reaching down inside you and picking up the little things that you don't want to think about but are kind of part of everyday life so yeah it, they, they are underappreciated but you know if you look at like a lot of you know the top 50 movies list you'll see like you know your exes your rosemary's baby your american werewolf in paris london scream and that kind of thing so they are there but i think it's more like fan mm. appreciation that gets them noticed yeah and my first nomination kind of kind of goes hand in hand with that in the fact that the person that directed it ultimately has kind of been one of those directors that's been revered as kind of one of the finest directors of kind of that generation and kind of changed the way um, we look at film and kind of what we do with them. And I think people would agree he's probably one of the, you know, the, the finest directors of the genre. I'm sure there'll be people that disagree with that. But in terms of what he did, the film that I'm going to nominate isn't necessarily his best one. Um, it's certainly not my favourite, but for the reason I've chosen it is because I think of its importance it's certainly one that, you know, media students and film studies, etc. that is certainly a film that gets looked at a lot and gets discussed a lot for, for different reasons. And that film is uh, Alfred Hitchcock's uh, Psycho. Emma, would you agree that it's, it is important? It definitely yeah. is. It, it's a, a lot of people talk about it in the context of like, the final girl theory about being, you know, <clears throat> the whole precursor to have sex and die mm-hmm. the fact that they killed off the main star so early on in the film the fact that it's black and white it was it was really shocking you know at the time and it is it is important and it's it's one of those films that makes these all these top lists Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
it. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And it, critics like it and, you know, film fans like it. And it's, it's still kind of scary even to a modern audience, I think, which is important because... You know, things change, people get harder to scare, but this is, it's not so much gory, but it's more just that kind of creeping in the back of your head, you know, something's going to happen next, you know, you can't work out what's not right, and you know, mm. that kind of thing, the whole cat and mouse thing with, you think it might be Mrs. Bates, so it's, it's definitely important, and like you said, it's, it gets written about a lot in, like, journals and books, and it is talked about a lot, you know, I think your media studies starter kit is, like, Bum and Buddy Allen. Quentin Tarantino and Alfred Hitchcock yeah. <laughs> they yeah. started directors really but yeah. it, it, it is it's, it is definitely important and I think um, the film that came out was it just called Hitchcock last year mm-hmm. the year before yeah. about the making of Psycho that was really interesting and just kind of um, like apparently it's it's based on a book Psycho which was based on the kind of exploited Ed Gein. If you compare that to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is supposedly based on the same thing, and you see there's two two totally different types of movies as well, that's quite mm, interesting yeah. to look at. Yep, so that's my nomination. Uh, we'll go over to you, Tony, for your first one, the one you're inducting into the Hall of Fame. I'm going to go with The Fly by David Cronenberg. Mm-hmm. I think. the That's obviously the remake from the 1970s, 1970s, 1950s, film The Fly, which was one of the classic old B-movie horrors. But I think The Fly is a, a really important film for horror and and science fiction, actually, because it kind of fuses the two together uh-huh. in in many respects. And it's, you know, it's Cronenberg at his most weird and all, but also kind of accessible as well, in that even though obviously the story of The Fly, which is obviously Jeff Goldblum trying to create a teleportation device only to turn himself into a fly, which without ruining anything. <laughs> the clues in the title. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's it's a very much, it's obviously body horror, and it's it's more it's all about you know pushing the boundaries of science too far and things like that. But it's got it's got a really interesting story about you know love and morals and all the all, all, all kinds of different themes going through it. And I think it, it's it's scary. It's a cautionary tale. It's it's weird, and it's got all that fusion of of you know of all the things that Cronenberg's good at and telling quite a human story at the same time and that whole duality between human and, and animal and and everything and it's it's just it's just really good as well Jeff Goldblum's great it's one of those films that you remember you know and in terms of that genre I think it's I think it's really important awesome he actually uh, David Cronenberg appears in the in the film doesn't he as well I'm just a little think, nugget there I think he does yeah he's I'm the sure. uh, gynecologist mm. talk about casting a role <laughs> 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 you might, you might enjoy <laughs> 
<laughs> Naughty David. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, David, you've got a choice. You can play uh, the bin man. Uh, you can play the... Oh, the, we've, we've got a, we've got a, a sewage uh, guy that needs casting. There's a gynecologist uh, role um, that, you know, that I... I exactly. You know, who would you go for? <laughs> Was there actually a bin man in it? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, probably not. And why did I make him sound like Woody Allen? I don't, I don't know. I think there's a good like right asshole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't get it. You know how we feel about Woody Allen on this yes. podcast. Yeah. Uh, if you listen to previous Black Hole Cinemas, you'll you'll hear how Woody Allen is is, you know, verboten on on this. Um, but yes, we'll get to that one day when somebody nominates Woody Allen because they have. So oh, we'll get oh, there. It's not Manhattan, is it? It's not Manhattan. <laughs> no, it's the I, one I've got to review, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I think Jasmine. Yeah. yeah. Um somebody's Blue Jasmine. I don't know if we'll actually do it on the podcast, but somebody will one day. Yeah, uh, Woody a, pro- Allen, we do. a proper Woody Allen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Really somebody rip because that's actually okay. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, yeah, if if Emma really hates Manhattan, you know what you got to do, guys. Okay. I, will, I will. I refuse to watch Manhattan again. I swear down. I will not uh, fucking watch Manhattan again. Well, it, someone's going to definitely nominate it now, and you're going to put it on when a week at, when I'm on. I know yeah. you. I know you will. Because you hate the, me. Exactly. And the when the people speak, you know, that's the whole point of pick a flick. Emma. We, we do what they want. Yeah. Don't like okay. having not having the power. I don't like yeah. this anymore. <laughs> you, you, you know, if a, a new Twitter account. If only one tweet appears, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that yeah, it's yeah. either me or Tony that's making it count. <laughs> 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 so that's uh, Psycho and the Fly. Emma, what about you? I am going for Rosemary's Baby. It's mm. it's the first horror film that I ever watched all the way through that I got a deeper meaning from. I think you can get something different from it every time you watch it. It's not just about you know, the devil, it's not just a psychological thriller, it's got lots of themes, if you're looking at it from Rosemary's point of view, of isolation and loneliness that can occur when you're pregnant, which is something I obviously can relate to, and also I think it's, um, this is going to sound really pretentious now, so I apologise, it's a perfect snapshot of how Hollywood was changing at the time, it was released in 1968, it was directed by Roman Polanski, um, based on the book of the same name by Ira Lewin. And it wasn't nominated for the Oscars until 1969. But if you look at the 1968 Oscars, the films that were nominated for Best Picture, we had In the Heat of the Night, Dr. Doolittle, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, Bonnie and Clyde and The Graduate. So you had a real mix of like old Hollywood dying out and new Hollywood coming in. And I think this was really part of that whole change as well. For a lot of people who write about film, 1968 was the year that modern cinema started because the Hayes Code wasn't being used anymore and the Power and Remount Decree was all gone and like the studio system was dying out. And I think this is a perfect encapsulates that. Um, there's not a lot of gore in it or anything. It's, it's not particularly out there with the effects or not. And it's really kind of small scale, I think. But I just think it's it's so kind of perfect and dreamlike in the way it's shot. And I think Mia Farrow's amazing in it. I know Ruth Gordon won the Oscar that she was nominated for. And it's one of those films that I can talk about forever and ever. Because I always find something new about it. I know I did a blog post on the previous blog about how, when I was younger, I used to think the witches were the villains. But now I think her husband's the villain. So it's just, it's, I think you can take away so much from it from watching it. So that rounds up the ones that are being immediately slotted into our Hall of Fame um, Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho uh, Roman Polanski's uh, Rosemary's Baby and David Cronenberg's The Fly uh, next up we've got the nominations we're only going to pick one uh, so it'll be the fourth slot as it were uh, but we're all going to put forward a nomination and it'll go to a vote then at the end so we'll work in reverse order 
Emma, what is your nomination? My nomination is An American Werewolf in London. Because it's so different from Rosemary's Baby. It's interesting to see the story from someone who kind of, he knows something's going to happen to him. Like, he, he knows this is going to happen. And he's not all like, it's not sexed up, if you know what I mean. I think a lot of these kind of supernatural creatures films can be like oh the dark mysterious vampire you know and i think if you you've been watching recent werewolf films like twilight um it's good to go back to something and the effects are just absolutely amazing still to this day those effects are brilliant funny enough it was it was released in 1981 which was before superman 4 but uh still managed <laughs> to do better effects <laughs> than superman 4 there were films in 1931. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, I wouldn't imagine the budget for American Werewolf, uh, American Werewolf in London was that dissimilar to uh, what they said. That obviously, they struggled for budget reasons. But I can't imagine the American uh, Werewolf in London had that bigger budget. The budget was know. $10 million mm. for American Werewolf in London. I wonder what the budget was for Superman. I didn't check it out before. So, yeah, no, I think the crucial difference is that on American Werewolf in London, they didn't use chimps. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the difference. Okay, okay. Um, so American Werewolf in London, that's the first nomination from Emma. Uh, Tony, what is your nomination? I'm going for Bram Stoker's Dracula, which is from Francis Ford Coppola, 1992, which is a re- my, my favourite Dracula adaptation by by some distance even though you've got all the Christopher Lees obviously and the Hammer Horrors and all that which are, which are great in their own right but I love this one because it's it's re- it's a really romantic gothic kind of horror story take on the classic Dracula story uh, Gary Oldman's amazing in it he should have been nominated for best actor in my opinion because he's fa- he's fantastic he's he just he just blends that seduction and that old sense of creepiness and that you know tragedy all in one and he's he's brilliant under heavy makeup as well it looks gorgeous I mean Coppola obviously knows how to shoot a film he's one of the greats but that's probably his last great film for me Dracula it's it, it beautifully shot it, tell, it tells the story in some interesting different ways you've got Anthony Hopkins being wonderfully Anthony Hopkins as Van Helsing <laughs> I am Abraham Van Helsing and I will go and kill you all oh yes sir. and then he, he slips occasionally into Welsh and then he's back into German centre oh Dracula <laughs> He's brilliant. He's, he's just—he's bonkers. He's crazy, and also very creepy as well. Because he's always trying to—he's always perving over Winona Ryder in that film. Every five minutes, he's like, "Oh, it's, uh, Nina." He's creepier than Dracula, which is weird. <laughs> but no, it's—it's it's just—it's just really good, and it's—it's—it's it's, it's creepy. It's got an amazing score by—I won't say his name right. Wojciech Kilar, I think he—I think he's—I haven't said that right. Yeah, his score just drips with all these different themes it's beautiful it's beautifully done it just all comes together for me it's it's, a, it's it's not the kind of same kind of horror that is directly in your face but it's just that gothic romantic horror which I, I can't get enough of so yeah I think that deserves a lot more love mm. and I, I did when I when I originally suggested my nomination I did I did wonder whether it was cheating a little bit because um, it's not strictly horror but IMDB says it is so there we go we're we're going with IMDb, and we, I asked Emma for, for confirmation about whether I'm allowed to actually try and nominate this one. The um, arbiter. The arbiter yeah, of horror. Because <laughs> strictly it's sci-fi. But uh, for, the, for the jumps alone, it kind of falls into um, horror territory. Um, and that's Ridley Scott's Alien. Um, I think it's a really important film. Not only because of just the, the massive franchise that it then um, obviously leads into. 
but just the fact that it's it's, it's important for women um it's you know it's important for, for sci-fi it kind of brought that kind of legitimacy probably to sci-fi for the first time i'm probably wrong there but um in terms of you know the 1970s so it's it's kind of in that in that kind of era where where sci-fi is starting to kind of come into its own and and i think alien really as i said brings a kind of legitimacy to it and you know sigourney weaver is fantastic in it it's it's directed very well and it's it's just brilliant it's one of my favorite films and that's why i'm hoping (laughs) <laughs> we're going to induct it but we'll never know it's going to go to a vote so the three options you've as I said got Ridley Scott's uh, Alien which uh, won one Oscar previously uh, you've then got uh, Francis Ford Coppola's 1992 Dracula uh, which won three Oscars um, it won an Oscar for best costume design best effects uh, and best makeup um, and then in 1981 you have uh, an American Werewolf in London, uh, directed by John Landis. Uh, that won one Oscar, which, whether my IDB is going to load quick enough to tell me what it was in, I think it was in Best Makeup. Yeah, it was Best Makeup. Uh, Rick Baker, if he's a, a name that you're aware of in the makeup world. <laughs> uh, so that's who, what we've got to choose from. Again, we'll work in reverse order, so I'll start off by making my nomination. I can't vote for my own, uh, so I'm going to go with Dracula. For my vote, yay, Tony. I, I have to go. I think with Alien because I think Alien is like The Fly, actually, a seminal piece of sci-fi horror, and mm. I, it's influenced so so much. It's hundreds and hundreds of movies and, and TV shows. It's it is seminal and iconic. They, so yeah, they want to be Alien. You know? Yeah, everything tries to be Alien, and very 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 little is so. Yeah, even story. even the alien films that have come after just want to be alien. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And Emma, you got the casting vote. Alien. Hey. No, no hesitation. <laughs> so a, a slight cheat, maybe that uh, that two sci-fi's uh, got into the best horror. Um, well, uh, no, alien. But... Alien is horror. It, it's definitely horror. It's got some sci-fi elements thrown in because it's in space. But I mean, if it was set on, I think it was set in like I don't know. Like, say, an Arctic station with a small crew of people and the alien mm-hmm. came in. It would be just mm-hmm. as scary. Yeah. <laughs> so that's confirmation. Alien is definitely a horror. <laughs> <laughs> and alien that rounds up. Absolutely horror. Our nominations, I say, our submissions into Pick a Flicks Hall of Fame, uh, which now includes Rosemary's Baby, The Fly, Psycho, and Ridley Scott's Alien, uh, joining the director's actress actresses and actors and next time you're doing writers aren't you i am indeed yeah so back back to back to the uh the original running order of things um but we'll 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 start sneaking in some more genres once we got writers out of the way i think cool excellent that's great so uh some really interesting films there if uh, anyone does want to nominate those films for a closer in-depth look um you know what to do just send us a tweet facebook us or uh send us an email at pickaflickpod at gmail.com uh, where you can you can get us as well to submit any films you'd like to see us cover even though we do have a massive backlog we mm. will pick the ones we love and maybe do them quicker yeah which we, we may get to alien in 2018 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah just in time for alien 5 actually yeah um, <laughs> so perfect speaking of films it's time to pick another flick <laughs> 
For our second and final picked flick today, we are thankfully steering out of the choppy waters of the horror, the horror, and I don't mean horror films nominated for an Oscar, I mean <laughs> Superman 4, and we are going thankfully into a stone cold classic because the second nomination is from katie wong aka guitar gal china on twitter who is uh, calls herself a token asian nerd and contributes to uh, flick feast optic screen jabber and den of geek and she has nominated train spotting which is without question a classic a 1996 British black comedy crime drama film which I'm sure most of you have heard of directed by Danny Boyle starring Ewan McGregor Ewan Bremner Johnny Lee Miller Kevin McKidd Robert Carlyle and Kelly MacDonald based on the novel of the same name by Irving Welsh it has an Academy Award nominated screenplay by John Hodge that follows a group of heroin addicts in a late 1980s economically depressed area of Edinburgh and their passage through life. Beyond drug addiction, other films, themes in the film are exploration of the urban poverty and squalor in culturally rich Edinburgh. It's been ranked number 10 by the British Film Institute in its list of top 100 British films of all time, and in 2004 the film was voted the best Scottish film of all time in a general public poll. Let's take a look at this film, because it's a brilliant one. Tommy, this is not natural, man. It's a great outdoors. It's fresh air. Look, Tommy, we know you're getting a hard time off Lizzie, but there's really no need to take it out on us. Doesn't it make you proud to be Scottish? It's shite being Scottish. We're the lowest of the low. The scum of the fucking earth. The most wretched, miserable, servile, pathetic trash that was ever shot into civilization. Some people hate the English, I don't. They're just wankers. We, on the other hand, are colonised by wankers. Can't even find a decent culture to be colonised by. We're ruled by a few assholes. It's a shite state of affairs to be in, Tommy, and all the fresh air in the world won't make any fucking difference. This, this one, this one just makes all the pain of Superman 4 drift away. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I was, um, I was really reluctant when I started watching this because I'd heard it was really grim and really bleak and it is and grim for, <laughs> but, it is but bleak. for a film about heroin addicts it wasn't as bad as like say you know Requiem for a Dream I, I there was only one scene that I, I, I couldn't watch and that is when they find the baby yeah I, I, I had to skip through that um, you, you just knew it was going to happen though didn't you I think and that was the worst that was the worst thing for me as soon as they showed that baby I was like this is not going to end well it, yeah. it's really not but I kind of felt like Renton you kind of not sympathised with them but I kind of wanted them to do well and I felt like he was trying really hard to like sort himself out but his excuses for going back on the drugs it was just I kind of felt that was really honest in what some addicts go through like it's any excuse to go back on it and it's always only one thing like when he was first going through detox and he was like just one more hit I've just got to have one more hit mm. it didn't shy away from anything did it like, no. No. <laughs> like when he has to go into the worst toilet in Scotland and <laughs> 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 It, there was comedy in it as well, though. When um, Spud has got the sheets in his girlfriend's house, and the mum's grabbing them off him, mm. and it goes everywhere. It's very funny. It's very funny. It, film it's very well. funny, yes. and you wouldn't expect to find much humour in something like this. I thought as well. Do you know? I thought the music was really good. 
yeah. as well. And yeah. it's not just like as a, a soundtrack to that era, but I thought the music really, really fitted into what was going on. It was a really good soundtrack. It's, it's not a typical sound film soundtrack at all. No. Um, you know, lots of electronic music. Um, and kind of, you know, what we kind of see as drum and bass nowadays, I guess. But yeah. um, at times, like particularly where um, he's going cold turkey, it's so intense and so almost annoying that it's it's trippy. And I think it's supposed to be, you know, if you imagine that's your head just mm-hmm. banging, 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 banging. You're, you're, you know, you've got all these cold sweats going on and you just, just need, need this fix, like, you know, nothing could ever seem more important. That that kind of how you're thrown so out of sorts, and um, I think yeah, as you said, the soundtrack works so well and throughout. But it, I think it is a soundtrack to that kind of era as well, though. Yeah, I think um, like the little fantasy elements that were thrown in there. Do you know, like when he goes into the toilets, um, yeah, and he comes out in the sea, and then when he's having the overdose, yeah, it kind of felt like. You, you definitely got the sense that they were trying to make you feel like what it feels like to be in that yeah. situation as much as they can. It wasn't overused in any way. Those little bits were just used just enough to give you that sense. And mm. it kind of felt, it's going to sound a bit daft, more sensory than just watching a film. Mm. Especially yeah. when Ren- when Renton had taken the overdose because they had the black sides. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah. I do think that, yeah. Well, it's, it, there's, some interesting, there's some interesting background to this film because it, there was... There was, the people who came together to make it, I think, were very, very crucial in the style and, and the manner in which they turned this into a book because Andrew McDonald read the book on a plane journey in December 1993 and saw the potential, and he turned it over to Danny Boyle and John Hodge later in the next year. And Boyle said that he was excited because it, had the, that it was the most energetic film you've ever seen, potentially. And the idea was to create something that would have a beginning middle and end and just blast through in 90 minutes and they convinced Irving Welsh to let them option the rights to his book by writing him a letter stating that Hodge and MacDonald were the two most important Scotsmen since Kenny Dalgleish and Alex Ferguson (laughs) (laughs) which presumably convinced him pre-production began in April 1995 with Hugh McGregor cast in advance after impressing Boyle and MacDonald with his work on their previous film Shallow Grave which is also a a very well known film with that same sort of dark grimness to it according to Boyle for the role of Renton they wanted someone who had the quality that Michael Caine's got in Alfie and Malcolm McDowell's got in A Clockwork Orange a repulsive character with charm that makes you feel deeply ambiguous about what he's doing which goes back to what you just said Emma about how you kind of are on his side at the same time as knowing that he's doing some awful things Mm. but he doesn't do anything particularly grotesque it's not like um, what's the other guy's name Robert Carlyle is it Bigby Mm. Bigby yeah yeah like he's a complete psychopath he just he likes to cause fights and you see him he throws a glass in the pub and stuff but Renton like he's not he's not the same as him. Like I know he's got a problem, but you can kind of go, Okay, well he shoplifts and he did sleep with that girl that he shouldn't have. But he's not hurting he anyone. He doesn't know she's fourteen. Well exactly and I mean And as soon as he does, we don't see them sleep together again. So Yeah. So I don't know, you can kind of make excuses for him. I would venture one thing though with that, in that what he what he ends up unintentionally doing to Tommy yeah, that's terrible. Be- that's- yeah. Because he, he he's the reason that Tommy dies, ultimately. Because he, yeah. he's the one who sets him on that path. So that's that kind of... The one hand, yeah, he's getting clean and he's trying to turn his life around and he keeps getting dragged back into it, primarily by Begbie. But there's always that factor of what he did. 
I don't, know yeah. if he, I don't know if he does necessarily get pushed into it by Begbie because Begbie isn't um, a user. Is he's not he? on the drugs now. And there's, it's never inherently suggested until obviously they, they club together that he's the dealer either. No, I mean, I mean more in the sense that he keeps just dragging him back into dodgy shit. Shit, yeah, sp- yeah, I suppose. But um, um, I would just say that that's just it's just more their own weakness, you know. I think once you know, it's, it's for the same reason that Tommy isn't able to kick it. If once you get that hit, it, 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 it it's hard to then go back from it. You know, even when he he does, you know, come off the gear, he's he's still still doing drugs. He's just not doing heroin. You know, it's, it's very much the philosophy that. You know, once you know, once you've kind of used, you know, it's very difficult to then go back and, and I think it's very honest from that that point of view that it doesn't try to glamorise um, drugs at all, other than the fact that they do seem to get away with an awful lot of crime. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. He, Hugh McGregor apparently read books about crack and heroin to prepare himself for the role. He went mm. to Glasgow and met people from a recovery group for heroin addicts. He was taught how to cook up heroin with a spoon using glucose powder. And he even considered injecting heroin to yeah. better understand the character, but he decided mm. against it, which is, I mean, that is method acting to the nth degree, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, he's, I, he's I literally crazy. think John Hodge probably would have been like, no, you do realise it's kind of the whole point of the film. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. yeah, yeah. To <laughs> point out that one hit is, 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 a, is, a, is a very difficult path to go down once you've yeah. done that. For the rest of the cast, Ewan Bremner had played Renton on stage in the stage adaptation of Trainspotting and agreed to play the role of Spud, which is interesting. Boyle had heard about Johnny Lee Miller playing an American in the film Hackers, which has been nominated Hackers, so we may get to Hackers at some point, mm-hmm. and was impressed when he auditioned by doing a Sean Connery accent, which is one of the funny things at the very beginning of the film, isn't it? Where he's, he's talking yeah. about Thunderball, he's talking about all the Bond films, yeah. while he's injecting the woman, <laughs> which is just, it's that con- contrast as ever in the film. For the role of Begbie, Boyle thought about casting Christopher Eccleston because he resembled how the director imagined the character in the book, but yeah. decided to go a different route and asked Robert Carlyle instead. And Carlyle said, I've met loads of Begbies in my time. Wonder around Glasgow on a Saturday night, and you've got a good chance of running into Begbie. And Begbie, I mean, much as it's Renton's story, Begbie's the character you remember, isn't he? Yeah, well, yeah. He, he said in 2009, in a BAFTA uh, interview, uh, that he played Begbie as a closeted gay man. Whose outbursts of violence were due to his fear of being outed, and obviously they do kind of. Um, ha- he has that kind of not experience that kind of fumble in the car with the you know cross dresser or transgender, and obviously, so we, I think that arc is there, um, but it, but obviously it's never really pursued in the writing because, as you say, it's not necessarily his story; it's Brenton's. Yeah, but you can that's you can definitely tell that's there mm. for sure. Interestingly enough, going back to earlier about what, when you mentioned, Emma, the, 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 the fantasy elements to it about the toilet and everything like that, the scene where Renton dives into the toilet, which is a really bizarre moment because you think he's just getting something out of this horrible, stinking cesspit, and then he just goes into it, which is really strange. It's a reference to um, a novel by Thomas Pynchon from 1973 called Gravity's Rainbow, which uh, is a, a lengthy, complex novel, which is set primarily, primarily in Europe during the end of World War II and centres on, on the design, production and dispatch of V-2 rockets by the German military and in particular the quest undertaken by several characters to uncover the secret of a mysterious device named the Schwarzgerat which means black device that is installed to be installed in a rocket with the serial number 00000 very, very ra- strange source material but um, and Thomas Pynchon's obviously he did Inherent Voice which was adapted this year by um, Paul Thomas Anderson so he's 
he's got some very he's got a very very strange way of writing but yeah so that, that was an interesting inspiration for for that scene and the the feces in the worst toilet in Scotland which is a, such a funny disgusting moment <laughs> um, that was all chocolate so huh. yeah but you really wouldn't want to lick all that off would you no I bet, I bet they did though <laughs> you reckon <laughs> probably that that was the moment that apart from the dead baby which made me just cover my face in horror it I, was that bit that made me go oh the toilet yeah. was just violent yeah. I, 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 I just want to talk a bit about the dead baby because that's for me the only real not plot hole I guess but kind of the thing that I struggle to believe is the fact that this baby dies and it's them get caught at shoplifting that they end up getting in you know police trouble for you know assumably what then happens to this dead baby is it just forgotten about you know the, the social services not follow up on this no, type of thing well, or they're not, not exactly they're not exactly going to call an ambulance yeah. for the baby or the i've just got a horrible feeling that that they child ends up in the river or yeah, something yeah, yeah. Mm. i didn't i did the dead baby scene was something else i just couldn't i could not bring myself to watch it mm. i just I, I i the thing i struggled with is i get a bit squeamish with um drug use like particularly with needles so that it was quite, it was quite a difficult film for me to sit through and watch <laughs> yeah <laughs> i bet I, th- I think i think that baby moment is important really though because it, mm. it kind of because it's got this kind of heightened reality sense of or it's it's very funny in many respects it's very you know it's got the narration that that punctuates the whole thing it's it's slightly fantastical but then it drags you straight back to earth when you remember the consequences of what this stuff does Mm, and, yes. and you know, and that would have that would happen. That would have happened a lot, and it probably still happens a lot where you get babies die in crap dens, you know. And, mm. uh, and like Emma says, they're probably just dumped in a river, you know. And it, it's horrendous. And it, can we it, stop talking it, about the baby? Because I'm going to cry. Okay. I'm like legitimately getting no, upset over this. And it, exactly, and that, but that's that's exactly what it does. That's what it does. I know it's it's. I know this shit happens. You know. I know it's reality. And. What I kind of guess was good about the film is that no one fucking stopped doing what they were doing, even though they were all partly responsible in some way mm. for this child dying. Didn't give a fuck enough for any of them to see yeah. help or stop it. No, yeah, exactly. that, yeah. That, that's that's what you know. You, you say about you know Renton, you know, being not not necessarily a bad guy. The fact that he just then goes back and cooks up some more. Um, it doesn't. It keeps saying it, she wasn't my baby. She wasn't my little girl. Well, so yeah. fucking what? Yeah. Oh, exactly. it's, it's all right then. It's not your problem. You just had no. the death of this innocent child on your conscience for the rest of your yeah. life. But yeah, yeah. It's just, it's, he's he's still a despicable character. You know yeah. the, fact, the fact that they can just excuse that and not care, and and you know they're making kind of light, not light, but but you know they don't exactly take the death of Tommy particularly seriously. You know they're not particularly respectful at the funeral. Um, he's in the back chatting with that random bloke who I don't remember seeing for the rest of the film. Maybe it was just me. And, you know, in, in, in the pub, he doesn't show much remorse for the fact that uh, Sick Boy ends up in prison. Spud. Spud, that's the one. And, you know, the only kind of glimmer of light he gets is at the end when he does yet another despicable thing, which is he robs all his mates. <laughs> yeah. But just because he leaves a couple of grand left for, for Spud, it's, oh, it's all right, he's a decent bloke, but... You know, they're all they're all selfish fuck ups, and they're all they're all people who are the, the heroine has destroyed them. That that's the ultimate point of it. In terms of legacy, it's recognised as an important piece of culture and film during the nineteen nineties Brit, British cultural tour de force known as Cool Britannia, which is uh, a period of increased pride in the culture of the United Kingdom. 
throughout most of the 1990s, inspired by 60s pop culture. So Britpop, Spice Girls, Oasis, the election of Tony Blair's New Labour. You know, all the all these kind of things that, that were there and just people, you know, like Jerry Halliwell in the Union Jack dress. It's, mm. it's those kind of those kind of images, really. So it's it's seen as like a as part of that. The title as well is a reference to a scene not in the book, not in the film, but in the book where Begbie and Renton meet um, an old drunkard who turns out to be Begbie's estranged father in the disused Leith Central Track railway station, which they're using as a toilet. And he asks them if they're train spotting in inverted commas. Um, and Irvin Welsh has said, because it's a bit of a strange title considering, but Irvin Welsh has said that the title is also a reference to people thinking that the hobby of train spotting makes no sense to non-participants. He says, likewise, the same applies to heroin addiction. To non-addicts, the act seems completely pointless, whereas to someone hooked on heroin, it makes absolute sense. Mm. Which is a really interesting way of, of looking at it. Train spotting is getting a sequel soon. Yeah, um, that, yeah. I was yeah, I was going to mention that earlier, but I thought I'd leave it towards the the end of the, the conversation. I, I can't honestly see where they'll go with it, really. Well, there's there's a book, there's a sequel book called Porno, right? Um, which uh, it is about the characters um, years later. But the idea is that they've been waiting. They've had they've had this on the bubble for years, but they've been waiting for the original actors to have aged visibly enough to portray the same characters ravaged by time. So um, they've had apparently their differences as well over the years, some of the cast and, and Danny Boyle and Ewan McGregor, possibly after making A Life Less Ordinary, which was fucking shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe that was it. But yeah, after they've, they've patched that all up now and they're set to go next, next year to, to, mm. for the 20th anniversary of Trainspotting. So that will be interesting to see. They'll get all the original cast back. It'll be interesting mm. to see where they go with that. It's, um, it's a really interesting time to be doing it, I think, as well. You know, we, we talked about how... You know, transporting is culturally important for the time, and how it kind of, you know, it, it does talk a lot about the kind of politics of the time without drumming you there at the head with it. And again, we're an, a time again where, um, not that we ever seem to be happy with the government, but <laughs> a time again where yeah. the government is vastly different. You know, we're in a completely different playing field to we were, you know, twenty years ago. And you know, just technology, how technology is developed, and how the film is going to no doubt to kind of talk about that and um you know i don't know about what the book actually deals with but obviously just just that those different you know basic differences of of how technology has made everything easier and how it's changed our society into this kind of want it now and has to have it now kind of attitude um and that you can get anything with you know, literally a click of a mouse and it's in your front door the next day well so. by the sound of it porno they're not going too heavily into adapting porno exactly the same because mm. as Danny Ball said the sequel isn't as great a book as Train Spotting was mm. so they're not going to they're going only going to loosely base it on porno so yeah they've got the freedom to, to do their own things with it really so it will be very interesting they probably won't make as as classic a film in terms of the impact it's had and you know because Train Spotting again has influenced a hell of a lot and I don't think they'll quite make the same thing in terms of zeitgeist and and, and culture yeah Train Spotting is a classic film so thank, many thanks to Katie Wong for, um, for nominating that film um, you can find her blog at musingsofaguitargalchina.wordpress.com and her Twitter, Twitter is full of interesting film news so do give her a follow if you can and thanks very much for that that's it for this first episode of Pick a Flick and we will be next week looking at a very specific genre 
of films. We're all about Shakespeare next week. An episode that's actually already been been recorded <laughs> because of the way I've done this. So that's all ready to go. So that that will be that will be interesting. We'll be touching on the Macbeth I mentioned earlier a bit more and a few other different things. So make sure you tune in for that one. Emma, Dan, where can we find you on the internet? Um, you can find me on Twitter at Crushin82, but I don't tweet anything particularly exciting. Except you can follow my Nervous Breakdown over my master's degree, so that'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> and you can, again, find me on Twitter uh, at Dan Thomas Taylor. But uh, as Tony mentioned at the start of the show, uh, I've got my new feature hopefully coming up soon, which you can follow on with and follow me in my daily life um, as a manager of a, of a cinema. So <laughs> that'd be interesting, hopefully. So, yeah, do follow those guys if you don't already, and if you don't, shame on you. You can obviously follow us at PickaFlickPod on Twitter, and you can follow me at BlackHoleOnline, although that may change soon, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flick things around a bit. Also, we are on Acast. Sub- subscribe to us on Acast. Um, that's where, that's where we're, we're hosted, so um, big thanks to those guys for, as ever, um, being awesome hosts. You can also find us on iTunes. Do subscribe on iTunes. Do give us a like. Do give us any feedback. It does help us to grow as a new podcast off the back of another old one so thank you very much for that um thanks again to everyone who has nominated films and has engaged with us on twitter it's been brilliant the last week actually people who've who've, you know followed us and and you know given us a bit of a chivvy on hopefully a lot of you are listening to this and hopefully you'll carry on listening because we've got tons and tons of nominations as i said earlier so that's brilliant also there is a little offer that you might like to take advantage of that uh, we've been given for a a magazine called film inquiry uh, which you can find on twitter and uh, they have offered all subscribers of to pick a flick um, a discount on their film inquiry subscription package let me read you what the editor-in-chief message me film inquiry is a film magazine for film fans by film fans we're filmmakers academics and aficionados from all over the world connected by a lifelong passion for cinema film inquiry is a magazine that challenges readers to explore film intellectually with our unique combination of informative and entertaining film journalism no gossip no pandering to the masses just insightful cinematic discussion aren't we all getting tired of rehash listicles which i can't agree with more so this sounds like a little bit like filling the hole that places like the dissolve um, used to used to have so um, they offer monthly biannual and annual subscriptions to readers and you can get a 25% discount on that if you use the following code pickaflick25 so that's not a bad little offer they've given us so if you do want to take advantage of that I'm sure they'd be they'd be very grateful and it looks like a really interesting place and, and a, a growing magazine so I do recommend that that's it for us Dan and Emma will be back hosting in a few weeks um, Emma's doing Halloween Ooh for horror and uh, yeah Dan will be back a bit later after he uh, decides to open cinemas in Scotland which is basically mm. what you're doing isn't it yeah be interesting uh, it, it could all go tragically wrong particularly after a 12 hour car journey but uh, <laughs> well, we'll enjoy <laughs> yeah as I say we'll be back next week until then you pick a flick we watch it simple bye <laughs>
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.